Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, my fellow stash brother. <laughs> it's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? What did you refer to that before he came out? A dirty <laughs> Sanchez? Is that what you said? Oh, boy. Off to a good start. <laughs> Listen, well, you just how does, my credibility. How does your beard growth go? Like, like if you, it looks to me as if you couldn't connect if you wanted to. Oh wait, like here to here, so you couldn't do like the Matt Damon Stillwater. No, absolutely not. You couldn't do the Punisher sticker goatee. No, so it, it gets very interesting. I should have shaved before getting on YouTube in front of people. I did not, but if I cut the hair short, yeah, shave entirely, I could be eighteen years old. How many yes, almost 30-year-olds? Look at the hair length. The hair yeah. length looks good. I know. It's looking long and lustrous. I'm good. sure this is why people tune into the tune-up to I check in so. on my grooming. They just they they listen to this on mute. <laughs> just to watch you. Like me and uh what was that show? The grind oh. on MTV. <laughs> listen, oh man. All I'm gonna say is it was on. At three o'clock when I got home from school and no one else was around. Okay. That's all I got to say about the grind. A lot of shows like that, they <laughs> they make your adolescence almost. They, they turn do. boys into men. I know. And MTV is not even a thing anymore. I know. They just, they just shut down the news department like a yeah. few weeks ago. All they do is play ridiculousness. I think some people got a little too married to, uh, to the idea that that cable bundles would last forever. Yeah. And MTV is MTV <laughs> is part of the fallen. You know, they needed to switch. What are you going to do? We haven't even talked about this. The fact that Disney pretty soon is like ESPN's not even going to be on cable, which would, that would be a, a groundbreaking movement forward. But yeah. that's a story for another day. How are you, Mr. Benny Horowitz today? Yeah, living, you know, trying to. Sometimes when the fire, uh, the fires in the sky, you you get a different perspective on things, you know, like and I think in some ways, of course, don't 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 take this out of context and say I enjoyed covid because I did not. But one of the things I enjoyed about covid was the human beings understanding that that any given day is not granted to you, Mm. you know, and uh waking up to a fire in the sky makes i think a lot of people who don't often recognize their you know luck in the world gratefulness just to wake up and stand every day realizes oh i could wake up any day and never see the sun again it's possible so you know even though i i feel like i'm uh handing my children a, a broken earth and and a broken society in a lot of ways i do think there's always a silver lining which is that you know well we're gonna get into that in just a, a little bit because this uh permacloud and whatever made a lot of news but is that its know, name the permacloud oh well, i feel like i don't know why i've heard that and you know what man i'm just running with it today you know they name they name like every storm surge something real cool we couldn't come up with something better than permacloud for this you know well, even hurricanes get their own names. <laughs> you know what segment I think has a very cool name? What's that? It's just in music history. Oh. I feel like I got a got a half doot doot there today. Anyway, what do you got? This day in music history. Permacloud. 
come on. So that'd be a good band name, though. Permacloud. Uh, maybe, maybe like a soft, soft wave. What do they call it? Chill wave. New age. A chill wave band called Permacloud. That works. Something at the beginning of Portlandia. Okay. Um, so on this day in 2017, Gene Simmons, you know, uh, essentially Monopoly man hidden inside of you know, the Guar's body um, tries to file a trademark application for the devil horns hand gesture, which he claims he invented in 1974. The description in the application reads hand gesture with the index and small fingers extended upward and the thumb extended perpendicular, which I believe is the shocker, not the devil horns. Um, It's also the sign language symbol for I love you. So clearly not his. It's the hook'em horn sign for University of Texas. It's the hang loose for surfer. You know, it's been around. But 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 Simmons is filing for entertainment purposes, namely live performances. If this was granted, it would be possible musicians would have needed his permission before throwing their horns on stage. He says he invented it at a concert in 1974 seen using on the cover of the Kiss album Love Gun. Uh, John Lennon did it on the cover of Yellow Submarine. A band named Coven did it and their album art in 1969. And then obviously popularized by Ronnie James Dio. So this, you know, this is kind of like uh, LeBron trying to trademark uh, Taco, Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, like like wasn't yours, but, you know, Maybe he just thought like, oh, I'm going to be the first one who tries to claim it in court, even though uh, I've never claimed it here. But another blaring example, and I've had anecdotal stories of this, too, of Gene Simmons being the biggest money whore maybe the music industry has ever known. The biggest? Yeah, he's up there. That's a big thing. He's up there. (laughs) He's up there. If he could sell the Kiss catalog for half a billion dollars, you know he would. All right. Well, Benny, on this day, we I've got two fielder's choice. One is very us and closer to home. The other one's just kind of an interesting story. But anyway, on this day in 1972, Bruce Springsteen signs with Columbia Records and starts yeah. to assemble the E Street Band. 72. Long so time ago. Goodness that's a, gracious. What's that? 51 years today? This 50 years ago. That's, Goodness. That's, and, and he's still with them. He's still with Columbia. Look at that. How about that? And the other one, now this one's just, it's its tragic, but it's fun. So bear with me here. <laughs> Go <laughs> All on. Right. On this day in 1994, after an argument, TLC singer Left oh. Eye set her boyfriend's Atlanta mansion worth $2 million on fire, burning it to the ground. She was charged with arson and only fined $10,000 with five years probation. Yeah, I, you know... This story was kind of widely mocked for a long time because it was two celebrities. It was, you know, Andre Risen, who, you know, you may not remember. He was at the time this happened. Andre Risen's a top five, top 10 wide receiver in the NFL. He's a big deal. I had his rookie cards in plastic (laughs) sheaths. You know, that means he was a big deal. Um, You know, I I think the funny thing, the one thing that kind of made me laugh about this was the reason the entire so she put all the tennis shoes were they all tennis shoes too that that seems a little silly he had that many tennis shoes to fill a tub um like 
the reason the whole house burnt down was because the tub was made of synthetic. It, it was like a, a weird plastic tub. You know, I thought whatever uh, palatial estate people lived lived in, I thought they had really good, hard, claw foot tubs, you know, that, that you could burn anything in and it would sit for, for ages. But the reason it caught to the whole frame of the house was because the tub itself melted and disintegrated and then went to the rest of the house. But only $10,000 in five years probation for, uh, I don't know, arson? Yeah, it seems seems like a seems seems soft uh, now in hindsight. But I joked about this a lot. Like I think I even used to tell ex girlfriends, like, "Oh shit, don't light my shoes on fire," <laughs> you know. Like this was a thing for a long time in the narrative. Ten thousand dollars. What's that today? Like twenty five grand. Nineteen ninety four. Like 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 nineteen ninety four. It's a hundred fifty thousand dollars. Two million dollars. Yeah, it's two million dollars. Right. With this inflation, Denny, I don't well, know. The uh the the first episode of this season of Always Sunny tackled inflation, and oh. as per usual, those guys nailed it. Yeah, I mean, a thing of tin foil costs about forty two dollars right now. So uh, God knows. How much you'd pay for lighting somebody's house on fire? <laughs> it seems like a very, uh, you know, the only other people that get off that easy are people that storm the Capitol. No. Oh, all right, let's move oh. on. Let's move on to the climate, shall we? Oh, fine. Um, all right, so let's talk. Uh, uh, GovBall 2003 set to be this weekend, Benny. It's a festival that you played before. Oh yeah. Um, but they're monitoring the air quality in New York City. If you follow either of us on Instagram, we were just posting pictures of the sky which we are not weather people we're not people that tend to dabble in that but the sky in new york city this week turned orange after canadian wildfires uh the smoke from that set down to new york city and the rest of the east coast making the sky orange and it's smelling like smoke and fire really fun to be in uh scary but also just like looking around um disorienting really yeah. And just wondering what the heck is happening with the world. So on, on Wednesday, the, that happened on Wednesday. The air quality in New York City was the worst in any city in the world uh, due to the smoke from the eastern can of wildfires, uh, with wildfires uh, predicted to become more commonplace with climate change, um, the alarming pollution. It's just everybody should be worried. But so seeing all this, the people from the GovBall Festival are like, you know, let's wait and see. Um, sporting events, the Yankees and uh, Gotham FC both canceled their games on Wednesday night. But you're about to send, um, I'd say probably what, like 25, like almost a quarter million people probably going to see GovBall this weekend. People 18 to 35 with good lungs uh, standing outside all day in air that is still not clean. Um at what point should a concert promoter feel a responsibility? And then from the artist's perspective, how, how would you approach a situation like this if you were set to play in this situation? Well, I mean, there's a lot a lot to unpack here. But in yeah. the context of GovBall, I mean, I feel like this is a little bit uncharted territory, you know, especially in the States. I'm sure they have to deal with some version of this in some other places at times. But... Uh, you know, nobody knows what the fuck to do here. Um, it's We're not accustomed to this. We've never seen it before. We don't know how dangerous it is. Everybody's kind of getting their head wrapped around it. And while there's, you know, very specific protocol for, let's say, wind, 
because stages have been knocked down by wind before. You know what I mean? Uh, PA racks have been knocked down by wind. And then they know after a certain, you know, uh, speed of the wind, you have to put up the side sheets after a certain speed. After that, you have to cancel the show because the stage is at risk and the people are at risk. And they know that because stages have fallen from wind before. Um, I don't think anybody quite understands how negative this is. Uh, what level should we not send people out there? Are you compromised? Are, you know, so, you know, I think you see these reports. I mean, I was out today, you know, feeling fairly comfortable because now my air IQ is in yellow and the yellow seems safe. And I think by the weekend, it's supposed to be even better. So I, I do think it's interesting for the future. Um, but, but, but this particular time, uh, I don't think you needed to cancel the, the show like a week before on the idea that, you know, like the air quality is going to be bad. Apparently once it passes, it passes and you're, you're semi back to normal. I don't think this is the last time it's happening. I think this is just a small taste of what's to come. But uh, in this instance, I don't kill kill GovBall for keeping going on. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's a tough situation to be in. Um, you don't want to lose all of that money m- making a speculative thing too early. I, I understand that. But if you're a concert attendee, man, I'm not sure if I'm trying to stand outside in uh, that field. And what's that? Roosevelt Island all day? I think. Th- well, this is the <laughs> ironic part. I think they're out in Flushing now. Oh, okay. And I think it's out, you know, uh, in the, and, and I believe that that area of Flushing is now called Corona Park. No. So let's just throw it all together, you know? I love it. You know, and this forced me to look at the GovBall lineup. Oh, okay. And, you know, I, I start at the top and I go, oh, Kendrick Lamar, Mm -hmm. Lizzo. Great. Yeah. Then in the top eight, I see Lil Nas X, Mm -mm. Lil Baby, and Lil Uzi Vert who are within the same, they're, they're built next to each other, which I don't know if that's a joke. And then Haim. 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 Oh, come on. I'm correcting you on the, come on. Bro. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I told you before this. I only know they're from the fucking Wes Anderson movie. And then I'm going down the list, and essentially all it's telling me of GovBall this year is, wow, this concert's not for me anymore. Oh. Because I, literally, I, I couldn't tell you a thing about, 10% of the artists playing besides for the top ones. I mean, it's a it's a brave new world out there that I'm just not sure about. A can, lot of uh TikTokers on the bill. I don't know. Can I'm I, just can speculating. I, can I can I can I talk to you about a couple things that that came into my head while while it seemingly the earth was on fire and we'd never see the sun again. Yes, please. One was this. Uh I saw a post by like you know National Geographic Instagram or something showing the haze, showing the concerns. And I couldn't find any information because the article is behind a paywall. And I'm like, fuck you. But um, one of the things I decided to take in for some reason was the comments. And so many of the comments are people from places that deal with wildfires being like, oh, so New York has some smoke now, and it's such a big deal. When it happens to us, nobody even reports it. 
and or like oh new york's all afraid of smoke now <laughs> like almost like it's fun like this is a fun thing and i thought that was just a real uh microcosm of something that's just truly wrong with how we're seeing society and how we're treating each other right now like like literally yes it's the first time it's happened and people in new york are afraid because we've never looked up in the sky before and only seen red and you know it smelled like a giant campfire and you're like okay what the fuck is happening and all these people who apparently have experience with it instead of going on a comment board and being like hey these are the good steps to take for your house for your kids for your own welfare We've dealt with this a lot. You haven't. It was more like a, you know, thumb in your nose at something. And I thought that was just a real obvious microcosm of like, what's wrong with people right now and the way we're seeing each other and how everything is some kind of competition of one-upsmanship when in essence, we're all like tiny ants on a burning planet that could probably use each other a little bit use each other's knowledge, use each other's help, because there's going to be a time when it just it just simply doesn't fucking matter where you are, who you are, the kind of resources you have. Like all of this is going to go better if people can somehow like work together and at least have some shred of empathy for people going through something that maybe you have gone through before. Like who gives a shit? you know, maybe a kind word for the people who haven't gone through it before. Like, I thought that was real fucked up. Now, the other thing that it made me think of was imagine through the history of time, right? Like, like a thousand years ago, you know, you're, uh, let's say just like a, you know, you're a Mayan king down in, in South America somewhere. And this happens. And and you don't know where it came from. You don't know why. You don't know it's Canadian wildfires. You don't have a radar showing you that the plume will eventually move over. You go, we have angered the gods. We'll never see the sun again. We must sacrifice a thousand children or else we'll never see the sun again. And then they like sacrifice a thousand kids and the next day it passes over and they're like, it worked, <laughs> it worked. We, we appeased the gods. And then forever you have to sacrifice a thousand kids every time it's like super cloudy out. So I was just thinking about, you know, the, the upsides we have to with communication and technology and actually knowing, oh, this is a fire here. It's moving down within a day or two, it should pass. Instead of like, you know, I think about like, like, like Game of Thrones style, just some drunk king, you know, 1500 years ago, waving a fucking chicken leg, just being like, oh, God, we got to do this because this is, you know, like, uh, so there is an upside to being in the future, which is that, you know, two things there. Number one, on, on the people in the comments section, I, I, I actually have some optimism for you. I don't think those are real people. I think when push comes to shove and we need <laughs> each other, I don't think that it's, it's going to be okay. like Zoe XYZ in the comments section. That's like, oh, I'm from California, bro. We get this all the time. No, yeah. that okay. person's not real. Um, That's nice. Nice to hear. Yeah. Okay. And then to your minds looking at the sky, yeah. 
it's amazing in in, in that amount of time because they, they then they'd probably do it every single year. Oh yeah, it's become a yearly thing. We need we, a thousand kids, so we've the gone sky from doesn't go that on fire. To yeah. like selling barbecue sets <laughs> half off. Like it's just right. crazy. Like right. how we right. just process the world now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you know, the news just keeps on coming. Benny, the the relations between Saudi Arabia, their live tour, and PGA Golf have been a a thing that we've talked about a bunch on this podcast and a, a, a real point of contention in the sports world for the better part of the last year. Yeah. Had, we talked about the golfers that cashed in, got these big Saudi Arabian paydays to be part of live golf. And then we've talked about the Tiger Woodses who made a moral stance after 10 years of getting shit on for like his infidelity and stuff like that takes a moral stance and then he loses out on a billion dollars. And then Rory McIlroy, who has uh, since become the spokesperson for Saudi yeah. uh, for live golf and the PGA tour emerging, which is what we're getting into here. Uh, just a really interesting thing. Uh, the, the two entities signed an agreement that would combine the PGA tour and live golf's commercial business and rights into a new yet to be named for profit company, which is interesting because PGA tour has always been a nonprofit, which you can talk about America there. Um, the, the agreement includes a DP world tour, which is the PGA European tour, um, Live Golf says that the PJ Tour is going to make all of the decisions, but they're going to provide the money and that the purses are going to go up for the golfers, which is great for the golfers. But, man, you cannot begin to tell me that if somebody is providing the money for something, that they're not going to have the decisions. Of course. And this is this is a huge story. I'm like, you know, and, and you know me. I'm not sitting down often or ever and watching television golf. Not part, you know, I'm not the demographic. Uh, I don't believe I've ever watched television golf. I know the the big names in golf, you know, essentially because of fucking Sports Center. So not not a big fan, you know. But I realize the implications of what this means for a pro league. I mean, first off, you know, the way this got done was shocking because usually there's a lot of chatter around something like this, and this was just like kind of a bombshell, you know, because they were suing each other and then they were like, nah, we're good. And you couldn't really run this past a lot of people because most of the people would have been like, no, you can't do that. You know, so, you know, there is part of it where the PGA did throw guys like Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods kind of under the bus, you know, people who I think Tiger Woods was offered literally what three quarters of a billion to to join the tour uh rory mcelroy's been outspoken all year about this and out of nowhere they're just like oh fuck you guys don't care (laughs) money um so you know that that's the first part where like there's a, a a player element that obviously needs to be resolved and then like how do you resolve the brooks kepkas who are under you know, contract already with live golf and paid X amount of money and promised X amount of money to the people who did not do it and are now coming in. Are they going to be compensated for this last year? Um, You know, there's a lot of stuff to work out there that doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, You know, but the one thing I think that's going to quell a lot of this outrage, especially from the player side, which often trumps morality and God and all other talking points is money. And all these fucking yokes are about to get paid. 
you know, they're about to make, you know, double, triple, blah, 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 the purses that they used to get um, because of this in injunction of injunction. No. Injection, injection, injection of, of cash, money, yeah. you know, that went into the I'm in a legal thing. So I got yeah. injunctions on my mind, um, you know, so so that that's a big part of it. But you brought up the biggest part. I mean, we literally just watched the PGA for like a year, you know, put this whole organization through the mud to say, like, why? they shouldn't have something like this. So the idea that an antitrust situation is going to come up uh, is probably certainly going to be part of it. But then also, I mean, you know, I don't have the reports in front of me, but I imagine most of the golf crowd is old white people. And I can't imagine old white people being too stoked on the idea that a uh, a sovereign nation with very uh, opposing moralistic views often uh, is now uh, a major broker in a major sport. Um, and as you said, even though they're like, oh, here's the reins, we're giving it to Pat Monahan or whatever, he's going to still make the decisions. Let me ask you this, like what happens when uh, one of the top 10 golfers in the world comes out as uh, comes out gay. I mean, they literally, they throw people in jail for that shit in that yeah. country. So you're going to tell me like the private fund of a country, this isn't some, some side corporation. This is literally a country's money and they're going to be willing to be like, Oh yeah, sure. We're going to give this guy $25 million too, and then deal with their own backlash at home for, for, you know, the uh, totally archaic, uh, uh, views of a lot of like Saudi Arabian morality and policy. So like, I think this is extremely murky water. Um, and I think in the next like few months, you're going to see a lot of pushback, not really from the player side. Cause like I said, those boys are about to get paid and they don't give a shit, but I do think there's people in government and people in higher up positions that do have something to say and a vested interest in, in this not going through. Well, one American league commissioner did have comments on this. Adam silver of the NBA talked about it on the Dan Patrick show. They are investors in some of our largest American corporations. Um, some of the most well-known brands have investments from them. And I also think it's a, it's a two edged sword. I, I, I hear the comments about sport washing on the other hand, um, you're talking about it. Others are talking about it. It's not as if some errant golfer can say one thing about his reaction to Saudi Arabia investing in golf. And that's left at that. I think people are pretty sophisticated and the same way um, the World Cup, the football World Cup, soccer World Cup brought enormous attention to Qatar. I think people learn about these countries, learn about what's happening in the world in, other, in ways they otherwise wouldn't. So I think the media does its job. Um, but but at the end of the day, I also think, and now talking specifically about the NBA, where we're such a global sport, I, it, I think people are a little too dismissive these days about the benefits that come from the commonality around sports. 
What unbelievably scary comments. And you know Saudi Arabia is going to be backing this team that LeBron's probably going to partner with in Las Vegas. Call me Denstradamus right there. That's <laughs> like that's what he just confirmed right there. Yeah. No, but, sure. you know, Adam Silver is a, a very smart guy, but he's also a very business and sense guy who's navigated these kind of challenges uh, with relationships with a place like China. So a really interesting time for American sports right now where they can be like, hey, we are for sale. Our culture as a society, one of arguably America's biggest exports is for sale. And I think you're hearing business leaders like him. Um, I, I know Saudi Arabia has a, I, I, they have a percentage in some of these studios in Hollywood. So America putting up a giant for sale sign right now. And that, that seems like a scary way to go forward if, if you care about the future. I mean, but you're, but, but you're right. And that brings up a point I hadn't even thought about was like, what kind of a hypocrite is Adam Silver if he blanketly, you know, says this is a negative thing. And then of course the first reaction is going to be, oh, what about you in China? Yeah. Every single time. So it's like, uh, maybe it's not the concept that America is for sale now, but America has been for sale for a long time and this is just the biggest sale that's happened yeah so that'll, that'll be an interesting situation to see going forward um you have to think that government bodies will get involved to try to block this um but you know they haven't blocked other investment from saudi yeah. arabia in american yeah. companies so who, who knows and and i i'd even be a hypocrite to say i recently discovered that this the Saudi wealth fund or whatever mm -hmm. is an investor in fucking Live Nation. I just took their money, technically. Yeah, you know. So it's like, it's like once you start peeling back the onion of this stuff, um, you know, money is money and money controls the world. And until we uh, don't live in a capitalistic country. <sighs> That's my take. <laughs> okay, there you go. We'll clip that one for social media. Yeah, there you go. It right up. Yeah. Um, a, another interesting sports story this week: Lionel Messi. You know, we talked about him during the World Cup. He brought Speaking Argentina of to money. glory. Speaking of a lot of money and a lot of global corporations, right here, and a organization that manipulates valuations and tries to buy the way into global prestige. What's oh, up, MLS? Oh, oh. Um, Lionel Messi on Wednesday announced that he intends to join Major League Soccer side Inter Miami as a free agent, parting ways with French champions Paris Saint-Germain and snubbing a billion-dollar offer from Saudi Arabia. Man, is this going to become the official Saudi Arabia anti-podcast? Because I don't know if my safety is, is here for that. Um, all right, so Messi played his final game for PSG over the weekend and was linked to a return to also Barcelona, uh, the club where he had grew in prestige and won a lot um but they were not able to uh finish the deal over fifa's or la liga's financial fair play rules so messi comes to is going to enter miami uh the team that david beckham owns one of the last guys to get this kind of deal from major league soccer uh, he joins a list that also includes pele going to the new york cosmos to get the kind of throw in the kitchen sink to get this guy here here's the specifics of the deal that sees Messi go to Miami starting in July. Um, he potentially gets a ownership stake in the club or a club after he retires. Uh, he will receive a cut of the revenue from Apple TV's MLS season 
pass with broadcast leagues games and will be able to maximize his existing partnership with adidas um how how the league pass works and everything mls earns a flat fee of around 250 million dollars per year from apple and after it reaches a, a certain threshold they get a percentage so messi will also be getting a percentage so that's how much they value getting this guy in the league that they're willing to give away some of that sweet Apple money to get him here. Um, you know, like I said, when we talk about uh, deals like this, the Pele deal back in the day, he got a similar deal from Warner Brothers uh, to come play for the New York Cosmos. Um, but money now is different and money now is is way more global than and you can do a lot more with it. So does Messi going to Miami, uh, A, does it will it bring you up to Red Bull Arena to try to see them play with the kids? And would you even consider investing and purchasing MLS season pass just to see this guy play on American turf? I won't go that far for myself, but I do think that this is a major coup for the MLS in a lot of ways. And it, and it's, you know, it goes back to a lot of the things we talked about even earlier today, which is just like, this is what garners people's interest. You know what I mean? Like you can make the nicest uniforms. You can tout a love for the game. You can do all sorts of things to try to bring people in. But the biggest thing to bring people in is, this is like one of the biggest names in sports, if not like the biggest, like internationally coming to your American soccer league. Um, and it's a huge deal. And it, and it's the type of deal where like someone like me, who's sort of a, you know, a fan, but a fan on the side a little bit. And I don't really follow the grind and the day to day. Like, I'm going to want to know what's Messi putting up almost every single time he plays. It's going to bring me to the websites. It's going to get me a lot more interested. And I'm even like your, your, your more cursory fan than people who really are. Like, um, I think the, the one, the only negative thing I can find from this is, you know, the MLS becoming the, the out of their prime graveyard for football players. You know, this is like, um, I think that the next logical step for the MLS has to be how do we secure the best players in the world during their prime? You know, how is that possible? And what are the steps to that? Those steps still seem pretty far away. Um, so I love the fact that Messi's coming. I think it's interesting and cool. I think it adds, uh, I don't know how much it adds football wise, but it obviously adds to to the MLS in Miami, but it's also something like you said, we've seen before. We saw Beckham at the end of his career. We saw, we saw Pele. We saw a bunch of different people signed to the MLS towards the end. And like, you know, if, if this is going to be a competitive league with the premier or the Bundesliga at any point, like you're going to have to start really locking down the greatest players in the world in their prime somehow. Maybe this is a step towards that, but, so there's there, there's two ways for MLS to, to try to get this way. Currently, they compete against themselves. Yes, there's like CONCACAF Champions League, but that's like the best club team in, in Mexico, America, the Caribbean, and, and, and Canada. So that's not really going to get people excited. Um, they're not really too much into venturing down to play in some of these South American tournaments so that they can have the best clubs in uh, all of the Americas. And what... Rather, you know, they've 
they've they've been on this by try to get the best players to come in that they can for a while now that's had mediocre success the only way that this league is going to break through and i've been saying this for a, a very long time now they have to find a way to compete with these european clubs i mean americans only want to watch the best why would they watch and support mls when they could turn on their tv and watch the premier league la liga like like the teams that are historically uh, winning the trophies, winning the competitions that have been deemed the best, like the UEFA Champions League, um, seeing the best players that they see, uh, you know, that, that get the marketing money. Those are never going to be the guys that win MLS Cup unless they do something about it. Yeah, no, that's right. And I don't think that's just the, an American thing, you know? Mm. This is just like you know, what people decide to support and what they have access to, you know, yeah. like uh, the fact that the the best basketball players in the world no longer seemingly go through the NCAA mm -hmm. has taken my interest out of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, you gotta, you gotta keep that funnel coming. Like that's part of the system and you have to reinvent it. Um, and I think MLS is always at the precipice of doing something interesting there, but I'm curious what their next move is going to be. I mean, but, but like I said, you can't knock a move like this. You give the guy, whatever the fuck he wants to, to come yeah. because this is, you know, on the scale of, you know, LeBron James, this is on the scale of uh, Ronaldo. This is, you know, this is one of the biggest athletes literally in the world deciding to come play in Miami. Like, cool. Um, yeah. I'm just curious what's going to happen from here. Which that that all sounds good until he has to play in like Columbus, Ohio on like a Wednesday night in in August, and he's like, "Nah, bro, I'm good." Yeah, like, he's like, "Seriously, the Red Roof?" <laughs> yeah. I'm used to staying at the Force. Yeah, yeah, we're doing takeout Chipotle. What's going on? No, I know. Listen, oh, I've been on tour in this country a lot. He's someone's gonna have to take a shit at a rest stop eventually. Yeah. You know. Like, you think Messi's first first time uh, browsing through a pilot, a pilot station <laughs> in the middle of uh, in the middle of Ohio in the night. And he's like, all right, fuck this. I'm going back to Saudi Arabia. He's like, I know I didn't get out of Argentina to be in like wherever Ohio on like a Wednesday. It's crazy. I mean, it's fair. It's fair. There is a lot of this country that is uh, probably not up to snuff for a guy like Messi. Let's That's just true. say that. That's true. <laughs> All right, let's head to the NBA Finals, shall we? He's and gonna we... love Harrison, though. Oh, he's, yeah, he's he's gonna oh, love man. Harrison, New Jersey. Now, Harrison playing on, on a baseball field at Yankee Stadium. All it. of that. He's gonna oh, love God. it. What a yeah. league. Yeah. Um. All right, let's get to the NBA Finals now. Not only is oh wait, hold on, we got. Oh man, I had this whole thing set up. All right. Game three the other night had Jokic making history yet again in the Nuggets 109-94 road victory against Miami Heat. Jokic became the first ever player to record a 30-20-10 stat line um, in the NBA Finals. But for the Joker, this was business as usual. And I think that's been the frustrating part about the dialogue during this NBA Finals is the fact that you have... Joe Schmo down at Lifetime Fitness or wherever you play pickup basketball, <laughs> thinking that they are Nikola Jokic, and you could never be the combination <laughs> yeah. of Bird Magic, all while looking like a like like a Kaiser sub out there going down the court. <laughs> it, it's unbelievable the, the discourse Kaiser about this guy sub. is great, and people are just like, I could do that. 
I, you know, I, I do think there's some truth to that because he makes it look easy. He plays yeah. the game with a style where you're like, oh, that looks easy. It is not easy. But I've also heard many people this week going, okay, this is the greatest basketball player on the planet. Yeah. A lot of people have admitted it. And you know what? Some of it is fair because until you're you're tested and challenged on the biggest stage against the best players, there's still a, a variable to how great you actually are. You know, um, and if you are the greatest player in the world, you should be able to get over these humps and at least get yourself to a finals and make a good run in that finals. So win or lose, I think Jokic, just by being here and performing the way he is, has officially, it took too long, of course, yeah. because of the way he looks, where he plays, the number of things. I've never seen uh, a uh, literal NBA analyst going, oh, you know, this is like the first time I've really watched him. I'm like, yeah, guy won MVP twice. Yeah. Do you watch basketball? Like, what the fuck are we talking about here? So that's been a little silly. But also, I do think there's some justification in the idea that, like, you had to get to this point. You had to get to a finals. You had to perform well up until that point in those finals to put yourself in the class of people that we feel Jokic belongs in. I think there's some fairness to that. And then I think the other argument is a little annoying, but partially true, which is the idea Jokic is going to Jokic. He's going to do his thing. What are you going to do about the rest of the team? Cause that's how you might actually win. And there is a little proof in that pudding. Like if, if they manage to shut down Jamal Murray, that team looks a lot different, you know, and it's that two man game between Jokic and Murray that really makes the nuggets tick. And I think that's the other name that really needs to be extolled uh, in this process is Jamal Murray. This is like a fully healthy fucking superstar. Um, who's uh, just an exceptional offensive player, really smart. Uh, I mean, he does everything. He rebounds, he hustles, you gotta love Jamal Murray. And like, um, I think that, that really was the X factor in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I'm happy to see, um, you know, cause it, you have to get to the finals to get the respect. I think people thought that Giannis was great. He won MVPs. Then he goes for 50 in the finals and people are like, he's goaded to them. He's just in sure. like a, another conversation. That's what's happening to Jokic right now but to your point yeah how have you how have people not been wanting to watch denver i mean it's since the bubble i mean like that was kind of their coming out party and now the now this is their coronation yeah no no it's fascinating how how much i had to listen to this year about the fucking lakers yeah. clawing their way out of the 14 seed or the sun's trades or oh what are the clippers gonna do if these guys who are never healthy become healthy together and all these like metaphorical things that everybody kept talking about when there was just this great team sitting there with the same fucking starting five, the whole year stayed healthy. They were in first place the whole year just went through this. So I do think uh, we're seeing sort of the downside to how we decide to, to play our narratives. You know what I mean? Like we could have just been enjoying this all year. Instead of, you know, taking three and a half hours to talk about 
how Rui Hachimura is going to help LeBron and be like, hey, you see what this awesome team is doing? You know? And if you want to hear that talk, you can go back to episode one. Yeah, I'm sure we did it. I'm sure we did it plenty. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. We, yeah, I, we're part of the problem. I, I wasn't exactly talking, talking, my, talking nugs, you know, too much six months ago. But I did say, I think, you know, you know, right when the playoffs started, when you watched a couple of these teams stumble out of the gate, and you started getting worried about their health and stuff like that already. I was like, you know who benefits from this the most is the Nuggets. Mm -hmm. Because the Nuggets are doing what they've been doing the entire year. And the other teams that, you know, everybody said uh, might, you know, challenge the Nuggets were figuring it out on the fly. You know, the Suns and the Lakers and the Clippers and all these teams are just figuring it out on the fly because they don't have their things set. And this is the upside to keeping a team together, keeping stars together, you know, building through the draft and giving them supplemental pieces to be successful, you know? Well, let's give Jokic his flowers real quick. And in, in terms of his all of what he's done this postseason at an all-time thing, not only is he chasing a championship, but he's had one of the best postseasons we've ever seen. When you think of all-time postseasons, you think of Moses Malone in 83, Jordan 91, Hakeem 94, Dirk in 11, LeBron 16, Giannis 22, and Steph in 23, uh, obviously before getting eliminated. But... What we have here from Jokic this year, after having 11 triple doubles in the postseason, including two in the finals, he's averaging 34, 14, and 9 on 59% shooting against Miami. Are you ready to put him in that category with the guys that I just mentioned before? Yeah, I think you have to. I mean, I mean, again, the big caveat is that the Nuggets walk away with a win. Yeah. A lot of this narrative, uh, you know doesn't necessarily go to like Carl Malone, Charles Barkley land if he doesn't, because I mean, fuck like, like numbers wise and impact wise, you know, he might be even on a different level, but um, I think I'm, if they walk away with the win, uh, then sure. I'm, I'm willing to, to put him right up there among it. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, man. Like, it's not like anything we've been watching is like a fluke. You know, he he makes uh, it's not like we're seeing uh, shooting percentages that we haven't seen before moves we haven't seen before. I think the big thing that changed with Jokic over the years and something I think a little under talked about in this series is his conditioning and watching this guy play 45 minutes a night and Jamal Murray, who has had you know, nagging injury troubles, playing 45 minutes a night. Like that's the thing a lot of guys couldn't do at this stage of the playoffs after fucking two months of the playoffs This lumbering 280 pound guy is still ripping around the court. He's, he's creating offense. Uh, you know, he stands his ground on defense and he's, he's taken on this giant role and it's really a credit to the, the shape he put himself in, in his conditioning, like just to, just to stay out there at this point, like, like as much as we see with injuries and load management and this and that, or if he was only able to play 32 minutes a night or something like that, we might be looking at a very different series. 
He's about to get LeBron in the water polo pool so that he can like have this physique going. <laughs> yeah, forward. all of a sudden, like Kawhi Leonard's gonna buy a horse this <laughs> offseason. It's like, does this work? <laughs> it's a tax write-off, Kawhi. Yeah, yeah. Uh can we talk more white guy basketball, please? Oh, please. Can we talk about Christian Brown? Or as oh, it's spelled, yeah. Braun. Yeah, I don't uh, understand that. <laughs> I know. But yeah. Uh, the, the the Kansas rookie, you know, he came out of uh, from the Jayhawks. Uh, in game three, he was spectacular. 18 points, including some big second half bucket, buckets. Um, going into game four, you know, we've seen guys have one-offs to this finals. Uh, do you think he's kind of the cog that they need to really take this commanding 3-1 lead? Uh, you know... No, I don't think it's like him. I think it was yeah. him that game. Mm. And I do think the Nuggets need someone who's not the big two to make a splash on offense every game for them to be able to do what they do and keep things opened up. And, you know, um, KCP and Porter have both kind of shit the bed the last couple games. Um, and those are the people you were looking for for those supplementary baskets and those, you know, open threes and things like that. Um, Porter gave a much better effort in game three. And I thought he made some good defensive plays and had some impactful rebounds and stuff, but on the offensive end, I mean, shit, like not looking good right now and he's losing the trust of his coach, you know, getting taken down to 20 minutes, you know, a game, I think in the last game. And I think this is another upside to like, you know, Christian Braun's he's not a superstar, but what he did was he played at Kansas. He was a starter on the 2022 championship team at Kansas. And, you know, when you're when you're a good team and you're drafting players in in the 20s or the late teens, I think this is something you really got to look for, which is just somebody who's not afraid of the moment. Like Christian Brown's a rookie. And he's out there making cuts and being impactful in plays uh, where the stage doesn't seem too big for him and he doesn't seem afraid of it. And a lot of that, you know, you're playing a going through a college tournament at Kansas and winning a championship like you've played in some big rooms. You've played in front of a lot of fucking people. You've played in high pressure situations and and he's ready for it. And I think that's a lot to do with him. So I'm not ready to dub him like the you know, the, the third player on the nuggets here, who's really going to step up. I mean, I think, you know, you could just as easily see four, four points out of them in the next game, but uh, somebody like this has to step up in every single game. Um, and of course, like Christian Brown's getting more love just because yeah. he's, he's a white rookie, you know, he's, because he's, he's a white jersey. rookie and people fucking love it. You know, How many Christian Brown jerseys are you going to see at Riot Fest when you go there in Chicago? A oh. lot. It's like it, him, him and Caruso and Reeves. Uh, <laughs> Christian Brown and uh, Austin Reeves should start a reality show. It'd be a massive hit. I love it. All right. Well, let's keep the game for a look ahead going here. Uh, let's focus on the Miami Heat now. Uh, they've been a team that has lived and died by the three. Uh, last season, they were number one in the league in three-point shooting. Uh, this year, they were near the bottom, but then they've been back up again in the top of that they come this postseason time. And what that really does is it takes a load off of Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo that, who have carried them to this point. Uh, so in game four, are you looking for those – 
do you think those shots are going to fall for Miami? I mean, like they have not stayed this quiet for this many consecutive games. And by they, I mean, Gabe Vincent, Duncan Robinson, Max Struess. Um, They haven't been this hit or miss thus far this postseason, but they also haven't played a defense like Denver yet. Yeah, I mean, well, they made a good percentage of their threes the last game. They took a lot and made a lot, um, and it just wasn't enough. And, you know, one thing I love about this series, and I hope it's something that's a little bit of like, a, you know, a cue card for, for future teams coming up. Nuggets hit five threes that last game, scored 109 points, um, you know, with with the best player on the team looking to pass first and uh, and being truly a, you know, Tim Duncan-esque, uh, you know, low drama superstar who really just wants to win and doesn't care about stats. And, you know, we just saw another team die by this, which is Boston. Boston was clearly a team who, oh, if they hit 42% of their three-pointers, they're going to win most games. If they hit 36% of their three-pointers, they're going to lose most games. I fucking hate that. And, uh, you know, the the trend that's happened in the NBA of, you know, people giving up wide open looks under the hoop to to kick out to, you know, for a mythological three pointer uh, has been bothering me for years. And I think there's a little proof in the pudding here that you need to take your two, you need to get inside and you need to have various ways that you know how to score the ball based on the defense, based on the night, based on who's hot. Uh, and the Nuggets, I think, are giving people a little bit of a a lesson in in how to move forward here. And the the Heat's reliance on the three point shot, particularly when you're relying on the names you just said, you know, you're you're relying on Gabe Vincent and Max Struess and Duncan Robinson, not exactly household names, you know. Um, nerds like us know who they are. But I mean, how many DMPs did Duncan Robinson get this year? And now you expect him to just be the absolute hero of the playoffs. I mean, uh, Caleb Martin looked like fucking Kawhi Leonard last series. And now he's like kind of non-existent. So um, I think the Miami are almost like proof in the pudding right now that you cannot be too reliant on this shit. You know, any given night, like you can have as many wide open threes as you not. If they're not falling, you got to switch to something else. All right. Or you're going to you're going to die with the three as well. I can't believe that you just hit me with the Bob Ryan old like old sports talk radio take. of oh, man, it was better when these games were in, in the 90s. Dude, if you can score. I'm not saying that. I'm not <laughs> saying they were better in the 90s. I'm not saying 90s basketball was more fun to watch than this. Yeah. But not everybody's fucking Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. OK, like and it changed. Like they changed the league, the entire way people scheme changed for that. And it went too far and it needs yeah. to be course corrected yeah. a little bit. I'm no, not I saying know. go back to feed the big man basketball. <laughs> you know, the Patrick Ewing days were, were sure yeah. a little boring at times. And, you know, um, and, and I love the advent of the three. I like open offense. Yeah. I like all of that stuff, but, you need a plan B. Mm -hmm. You need other players yeah. who can do other things. You need people who can cut, get to the hoop, give a little mid-range, and you got to spice it up. Yeah. 
or else you're going to live and die with it. That's the point I'm making. Yeah. I'm not totally oh, sitting no. on the sitting on the cross here. <laughs> no, you're a hundred percent. If someone's going to give you a, a bunny too, you got to take it. And, and, and that's been a cool thing to see this postseason. I mean, that's essentially how Jimmy Butler has scored all of these points exactly. is people just giving him the short to mid range. So, but if you are a, a team that thrives on three point shooting, um, and that is your easiest shot and the way that you can amass the most points, 100% do that. Denver's not built that way. Miami's not built that way. Yeah. yeah. All right. Last headline today here. Uh, and we got to talk about John Morant. A week-long tease. We actually paid off a week-long tease. Last week at the end, we were like, oh, let's talk John Morant. Kick it the next week. So the NBA is looking in into whether John Morant was holding a gun in the Instagram live video that we talked about the other day, uh, the the Breakfast Club's Claudia Jordan, uh, you know, uh, Breakfast Club, famous New York City radio show, uh, reported Monday that Morant's contention uh, with any sort of punishment is that the gun wasn't real, which is like you're missing the entire point. We have a gun crisis in this country yeah. as well, and you're complaining about whether. It's a real gun. You have such a big platform. NBA players brag about their platforms. Use some responsibility here. Well, you know, we heard from Adam Silver before. We're going to hear from him one more time. He was on with Dan Patrick, and he talked about any potential John Moran suspension. This is not about just discipline, and then we'll just cross our fingers and then hope there's not a third time. I recognize that he needs um, some assistance, you know, from – the league office, his union, uh, his team, um, he's no doubt he's a remarkable player. And, and, and I think he's a very engaging young man. It's one of the reasons he has this enormous following on social media, but it's a two-edged sword. And he has to own that and take responsibility for it. And my, my hope is that wherever we come out in terms of discipline, that there's a, 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 an acceptance that we need to find ways to engage with each other going forward to, to so he can change the trajectory he's now on, which is not a positive one. David Stern would never. Is That's it all just me? <laughs> or both comments we heard that I hear Adam Silver go two-edge sword. Yeah. Who the fuck says that anyway? Corporate speak. I yeah, love it. Like, what is that? Like, like it's a double-edged sword. We all know it. Like, <laughs> why, why are you mixing this up? Just because you're bald and smart? Stop it. Come on, you got to connect with the people here. This is why people like John Morant, not you. Um, oh man, you can just say double-edged sword. What do you do with this two-edged <laughs> thing? This is it's crazy. That is like a borderline sociopathic, almost more than fucking showing your gun in your car. I'm not happy about that. But <laughs> so, but th that being said, like I mean, he's right that this is. You know, especially with with the way like if Jaws just going to fight this by saying it's a fake gun. Shit. I mean, that that's a, that's a, that's an even more out of touch statement because it's it's defeats. The, what are you talking about? Who cares? It doesn't matter. You just got in trouble for it. Not that long ago, went to some magical six day rehab clinic where you where you came out fine apparently and then just did it again fake gun or real gun you're on fucking instagram live how fucking stupid do you have to be like you need to take actual responsibility this time and that's where i fear like nothing's changing with this guy like every time i hear john moran speak about his own digressions 
it sounds like somebody who feels sorry for themselves. And it sounds like somebody who's like looking for the out or the reason they're not wrong. And, you know, there's never going to be any kind of substantial change uh, if that's the outlook. So I do think, you know, that's the, the tricky two-edged sword <laughs> that he has to deal with now is the fact that like, you know, a punishment bigger than the crime is not necessarily for the crime right now, but it's almost for the lack of sense about what you're saying and how you imagine he's going to handle this in the future. Um, I think if John Morant came out the next day and was like, Oh my God, I'm so dumb. Sorry. Like this is stupid. Why am I doing this? I don't hang out with that dude anymore. I canceled fucking social media. I do nothing but hit the gym. Like, yo, hands are out. Do what you got to do to me. I'm a new man. Like if he said that stuff, I think you're about to see a way less strict penalty than you're about to see. I think part of the reason you're about to see a very substantial punishment for this is the idea that nobody has any sliver that this is going to change. This kind of reminds me how like back in school, like you'd see the guy who was like, you know, joking around doing some stuff um, and would get in, in trouble, would try to talk his way out with, with the principal that wanted to create the, great and like we're so concerned about creating a great environment that they miss some pretty serious shit goes down like 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 a kid's getting bullied some like there's some sort of violence whatever and the the leader is does not want to be a leader but they want to play it as diplomatically as is possible and i i I, for the life of me can't understand y'all i've heard reports that he's not even going to get a half game suspension this is you know I know we talk have talked a bunch about definitive moments in Adam Silver's tenure as NBA commissioner. You can't let you the the, the people that you're uh, listen. He doesn't like rule over them, but um, he has to be the disciplinarian here, and he does not seem to want to do that. He he cares more about uh, making sure that Ja has a supportive environment which john needs i just don't think that that in particular is adam silver's job but if adam silver doesn't do it nobody else is going to do it i don't know it's a very tough position for him to be in it's not his job like like and what is he supposed to do to a point you know like he's an employee of the grizzlies what it was adam silver supposed to send like one of his henchmen in a suit to just like tail john morant live at his house with him like you can't you know, so that's where the uh, absolute lack of personal responsibility has got to be terrifying for someone like this because they can't police him. All they can do is discipline him after and then give him the best avenues for support. But there is only so much they can do, you know. So a jaw suspension looks like what next season? And will that lead to because it doesn't this guy doesn't appear uh, seem to be affected by you anybody messing with his his money the way other people would be. Yeah, I mean it's got plenty of it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure, but I would be shocked at this point if it's not under like a 20, 25 game suspension, and potentially half the year, yeah. something major like that. Like that's that's what's coming. Um, and I wonder more like what is what what does the league look like because of that? I mean. You know, up until a year ago, Memphis, with this main core they had, was 
looked as like one of the best teams in the Western Conference. And now you're going to be coming into next year with, you know, no Dylan Brooks, no John Morant and, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of young players. They'll still be quite good. You got Jaron Jackson. You still got Desmond Bain. You still got Steve Adams over there, a a bunch of fun, younger players like Grizzlies are not in the worst shape, but I'm wondering if you might see a move like a supplementary move by the Grizzlies to add something into that locker room. Our boy Chris Paul is about to be available. Oh, wow. No, like, like, does he want to go to Memphis and actually, you know, compete for a championship and kind of, you know, uh, get on top of a younger player. I mean, you know, from all reports, a lot of players are can't wait for Chris Paul to stop talking after he leaves. So I'm not sure if it's like the best solution, but you know, I think the Grizzlies are going to have to attempt to at least do something like that. You know, you put dad in the whoop that trick locker room. Oh my gosh. (laughs) NBA entertainment. This is what Adam Silver sucking up. He's like, man, this is the best reality show we've ever made. Chris Paul, Memphis Grizzlies locker room. Run that on the NBA app for all time. Yeah. All right. Before we go out. Yes, sir. Dame Lillard. Yeah. Give me your prediction. Stay or go? Go? Does to... he stay or does he go? No, no, no. I think he's not going to be in Portland next year. And I think I think he's going to be wearing black and white somewhere. You're thinking Brooklyn. You really are? I, I really think this because, you know you what? You thought this Spencer there... Dinwiddie, Cam Thomas trade package you threw at me? No, because I think it? that there's going to be a, a third team involved. Okay. So, well, listen, I mean, Portland, the whole point for Portland to do this, right? Yeah. Is a complete reboot. Yeah. If you're getting rid of them, that means you don't care about winning next year. You don't re sign Jeremy Grant. You trade Lillard and you have what to move forward. You got Simons, Shaden Sharp, whoever they draft third, if that doesn't get lost in the trade. Now, what gets added to that? in a Nets deal that actually makes them better in the future. I mean, Cam Thomas is a, is a marginal prospect because he can only do so much in the court. Dinwiddie, I think has proven the fact that he's not a 35 minute a night starting point guard in the NBA. He's got to be coming off the bench. They don't have enough, you know, draft capital anyway to, to make something like that. Like Portland's going to need a very, very useful young player to 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 make this deal for Dill for Lillard. And I don't think the Nets have it because they're not going to give up Bridges. I think that's the only person who who makes this trade happen. Do you give up Bridges if it's a three-team deal with the Pelicans and you reunite Dame and CJ McCollum together? I don't know. Cause then I think Dame is in a similar position. He was just in, in Portland. Like, who would you rather play with? Would you rather play with uh, a team with Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, uh, Nurkic, Shaden Sharp, a bunch of interesting pieces. Or now you're coming to a new team, to the Nets, with with fucking CJ McCollum and Cam Johnson and Nick Claxton and like like and you're in the East. Like, like, are they any better than Portland just was? Like the only move Lillard should or could make here is one that puts him in a championship standing right off the bat. And I don't see any path with this Brooklyn thing that, that makes it make any sense to me. So you're leaning more toward the Miami route, but how, how, how the heck does that eat? I don't think they they don't have the assets. No. And that's why, 
you know, this is a lot like what we were seeing, um, you know, last off season with Durant, which was like, everyone's like, Oh, he's got to go. He's got to go just cause he lit the torch and you start looking at the packages around and I'm like, I don't think he's going. Yeah. Cause they don't have to trade him, and there's nothing more entertaining out there. So, uh, for now, I mean, if, if you ask me my opinion, I think Lillard's staying put. Unless you see a potential situation with Boston, but then they'd have to give up Jalen Brown. And I don't exactly know how much more of an upgrade if you team Tatum and Lillard together. I don't think that that gets you over the championship hump. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, Boston's sure they could use a Dame. Like who couldn't use Dame Lillard, yeah. you know, but at his price and at his age, uh, yeah, it has to be really a sure thing. I do think Lillard and Tatum would be, you know, an incredible fucking thing to watch. And every once in a while, you know, the, uh, it, it would change what's happening in Boston, which is the offense. That's like here, give it to Brown here, give it to Tatum kind of offense they run. Um, and it would, it would create something better than that. But again, why exactly are they doing it? I'm not sure. Does it make them better? I'm not sure. So I, I, I think he's staying in Portland. You grab, you know, uh, a good player with that number three pick and then just keep going at it, man. Yeah. I, I don't know why Dane would not want to play with Scoot Henderson. That seems like a, a pretty cool thing to me, but you know, with the way Ishbia has been going in his first hundred days, I, I would not be surprised if he's like CP out, Dame in, boom, and I'm an NBA kingmaker without a championship. I mean, it's possible. They would need to get rid of Aiton and Paul, I think, to make it happen money-wise. Yeah. Because, um, you know, right now the Suns have four players expected to make $30 million next year. Um, and I think Dame is scheduled to make, what, like 55 or something yeah. next year? So you'd have to free up that space, but uh, I mean, again, sure, hypothetically, uh, but but why does Portland again? Yeah, like do they do they want Chris Paul? Do they want DeAndre Yaton? Yeah, um, to for their rebuild? Yeah, I don't yeah. think so. You know, and so. on the on the Suns' perspective, that makes them even thinner than they were last year, and that's yeah, why exactly. that they didn't get to the now. You have a a true big three with no one else on yeah. the team, literally no one else on the team. So, so I don't know. I think, yeah. uh, I think Dame is, is starting next year, drinking stumped down coffee. That's <laughs> A ringing endorsement. Well, plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com Two peas in there. Follow us on all the social platforms at the tune up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Subscribe on the YouTube. We got the videos coming out. Uh, catch our live stream whenever we go live. Uh, be sure to follow Benny on social media, on Instagram, at Benny Horowitz. I am at Denny Gallagher on Instagram. Benny, you got anything else? Yeah, someone on tour actually said to me, oh, Benny, I miss you on Twitter. First time it's happened. First time it's <laughs> happened in a year. <laughs> but not going back. Not going back. Everybody love everybody. Take care of each other out there. It's a it's a, a brutal world. We need each other, okay? Avoid the permacloud. The show is ended. Go in peace. You have been listening to and watching the tune-up. It's a real two-edged sword.